Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Good. It's early. Some of you still look sleepy. All right. Well, good to see you this morning. Good to have you online with us. Take your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Revelation. We're in our study through the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings, and we are in chapter 12, beginning in verse 13 this morning. And uh, we're going to be considering uh, what I've entitled Israel's Darkest Hour. Israel's Darkest Hour. Uh, just to kind of recap, because we're jumping in the middle of the chapter, chapter 12 of Revelation, you will remember, is uh, what's called a parenthetical. Uh, it's a pause in the flow of, of the revelation of what will happen in the tribulation. In other words, uh, as John received the, the vision from God about what will happen in that seven-year period of time, there's a chronology to it. But every now and then in the book, uh, there's a pause, if you will, a, a parenthetical that fills in information, and that's what chapter 12 is, and it, this chapter describes uh, what could be called the cosmic conflict of this, of this battle, if you will, this ongoing conflict between good and evil, between God and Satan trying to interfere with God's plan for humanity, and that's what's contained in this chapter. We remember uh, through our study thus far that Satan uh, is, a, is, a, is an angel. He's a fallen angel. It was a covering cherub, the Bible tells us, uh, pride was found in his heart, and he was cast out of heaven, out of his place. And so he led away some of the angels that were in heaven, and they became demons. And so there is this resistance of Satan throughout what we know as human history uh, in this battle, if you will, this cosmic battle. Now, chapter 12 introduced to us some of the characters, the, the, the prominent persons that are in this conflict, that are in this battle and let's just review that very quickly. Remember, early in the chapter, we were introduced to a woman. Uh, now, this is not a literal woman. We find out from reading the chapter in the context that this woman who is with child, who is pregnant, represents Israel. Uh, and so this woman that's described here um, representing Israel uh, is pregnant with this child. And you'll find out in a moment that that male child is Jesus. Jesus incarnate, coming from heaven, taking on human flesh, was born to the Jewish nation of Jewish lineage of the house of David. And so this woman that uh, is represented here uh, represents the nation Israel. And then we were introduced to the red dragon, the dragon, of course, being Satan that describes him and, uh, and clearly describes that this is Satan. So this dragon and this woman and the dragon, the Bible tells us, were introduced to the male child in the early part of chapter 12. In fact, in verse 4, tells us that the dragon was before the woman waiting for her to deliver so that he could destroy the child. Now we know when we read the story in the Gospels of the birth of Jesus that Herod, King Herod, wanted to kill Jesus. Remember the wise men came from the east and he said, where is this child? And they, Herod said, when you find him, tell me because I want to go worship him. Well, all the while, Herod intended to kill him. Satan, moving political leaders, moving world events to try to stop God's plan, but of course he couldn't. God protected uh, his son there in, in the early days of his life on earth and his birth and continues to move his plan forward. And then last week, uh, the last person we were introduced to in this, in this list of prominent characters was Michael the Archangel. Uh, very interesting character, person, angel, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he, he leads the armies of heaven, and we read last week that there will be a battle in heaven, a war, if you will. Satan and the demons will fight against Michael and the angels of heaven and of course Michael and the angels win and they cast Satan out of heaven for the last time meaning he can no longer go into heaven and appear before God he'll be cast out of heaven and the Bible says he'll be cast to the earth 
Now, we pointed out last week, if you were here, and if not, you can always go back into the archives and catch up uh, where we are. Satan's going to be really angry. He's going to be really angry, the Bible says, for a couple of reasons. One, when he's cast out of heaven, he's not going to like the fact that his, his ability to move around is restricted to the earth. And then secondly, he's going to be really angry because he understands that his time is short. And let me, let me kind of set the chronology for you a little bit. You will remember that the tribulation is seven years in total. The tribulation will begin with the rapture of the church. The Antichrist will come to power. By the time Satan is cast down to the earth, he's in this last period, if you will, and he knows that he only has these number of years left to do whatever he's going to do to try to resist the plan of God, and he will pull out all the stops, if you will. He's going to be very angry, and he's going to be uh, angry at God's people and angry at God. And so the persecution that's going to take place in the last half in particular of the tribulation is going to be unlike anything the world has ever seen before. And so specifically he will turn his rage and his anger against Israel, against the Jews, because he knows that if he could kill all the Jews, then Jesus can't bring in his kingdom. And so he will try to kill the Jews, thus the darkest hour ever for the Jews. And we pick that up in verse 13. Look at it with me as John begins to describe it for us. He says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Satan will turn against Israel with, uh, with an incredible vengeance, if you will. And the way this will most likely go, as described in the Bible, is at the beginning of the tribulation, uh, through Antichrist, Antichrist will rise to power, and Satan will work through that political leader. Uh, we know there have been leaders in world history who, who the things they did and the, and, and the wickedness that they did were no, no doubt satanically influenced or even demonically possessed. Antichrist will be no different. Satan will move Antichrist and position him to do his bidding. Now, the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, will seem benign. In other words, uh, Antichrist will come on the scene and seem to have all the answers. Consider this for a moment. When the rapture happens, and it will happen on God's time schedule, it will cause incredible chaos in the world. I don't know how many people in the world at this very moment are actually saved. I know there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians and a lot of people who claim to be followers of Christ. Not all of them are saved. There's tears among the wheat. You understand what I'm saying? But God knows who are his. And when the harvest comes, and that analogy, when the rapture comes and God calls his church, Jesus calls his bride out of the world, hundreds of millions of people are going to disappear. And I mean disappear in an instant, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And the dead are going to rise out of the grace. There's going to, and the people who are left here who are lost, there's going to be mass confusion and mass chaos. I mean, think about it. And you've seen the left behind movies and read the books and 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 much of that is a good illustration <clears throat> if a christian uh, a, a child of god's driving a bus and he disappears and nobody's driving the bus anymore and the bus crashes if a uh, if a uh, if a christian pilot's flying an airplane and he and and he he's a little closer i guess if he's already flying an airplane i don't know he'll he'll get raptured snatched out of the airplane and 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 nobody's flying the airplane anymore 
And, and so just multiply that by, by millions and millions of people who are saved and cars crashing out of, you know, and, and businesses and military people disappearing and police officers disappearing and firefighters disappearing and, listen, medical people disappearing, doctors and nurses. Not only will there be chaos and, and, and people hurt and catastrophes, but the people who minister to those things will be gone. Now, the world will be looking for answers. The world will be panicked. People will be panicked. And Antichrist will step on the scene and seem to be the man of the hour. He will have all the answers. He will bring a, he'll be able to, to speak and he'll be a good speaker and a, and a good orator and he'll bring peace and assurance. And listen, when people are afraid and someone seems to have the answer, they'll cling to that person. They'll look for hope in that person. And that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to come to this place of power. Now, he's also going to do something that, that, that other, other political and military leaders have not been able to do in, in, since the existence of Israel. He's going to be able to bring peace in the Middle East. He's going to make a covenant with Israel. And he's going to covenant with his influence to protect them. Not only is he going to make a covenant with them, but the Antichrist is going to allow them to rebuild the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem. And so the Jews are going to think that the Antichrist is their, is their pal, is their friend. But the Bible tells us that uh, at the halfway point of the tribulation, the three and a half year mark, Antichrist is going to turn against Israel. He's going to, his true colors are going to come out. In fact, Jesus warned about this. And all the way back, Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, and they gave what was called the Olivet Discourse. Look at Matthew 24. I think we put it up on the screen for you. You can look in your Bible. Listen to what Jesus said about that day when Antichrist turns his back on Israel, their darkest hour in history. Jesus warned them. Matter of fact, explained it completely what's going to happen. Look at verse 15 of Matthew 24. Listen to this. Jesus said, Therefore... When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Daniel prophesied there would come a day, the abomination of desolation, when Antichrist will forbid the worship in the temple. He will turn against Israel. He will set himself up as God. And on pain of death, no one will be allowed to worship Jehovah God. Abomination of desolation. By the way, that term is also used to describe a, a Greek uh, Seleucid king named Antiochus Epiphanes, who in, in the intertestamental period went into the temple in Jerusalem and put a, a pig on the altar and defamed the, the place where they made offerings and set up a, a, an idol of Zeus in there. Abomination of desolation. Antichrist is going to do even worse than that. He's going to declare himself to be God. Listen to what else Jesus said in Matthew 24. He said, Then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Jesus said, Time to get out of town when you see that happen. Time to go. Don't stay there because that's where Antichrist is going to bring his armies against Israel. Let him, verse 17, who is on the housetop, not go down to take anything out of his house. Verse 18, Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Verse 19, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Because it would be harder for you to flee, harder for you to get away. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Listen to verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation. Jesus uses the, the term great tribulation there to define it from just the tribulation. 
the whole seven-year periods of tribulation. But Jesus said specifically, the last three and a half years, when you see the abomination and desolation, when Antichrist turns against Israel, breaks his covenant, and his true colors come out, Jesus said that will be great tribulation. Notice what else he said. Such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus said it's never been as bad as it's going to be when Antichrist at the halfway point turns against Israel. Look at verse 22 of Matthew 24 and listen to this. Jesus said, and unless those days were shortened, unless that last part of the tribulation was measured, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, for those who belong to Jesus, those days shall be shortened. That's strong stuff, isn't it? I mean, that is strong stuff. Jesus said when Antichrist makes his move, the world has never seen what it's going to be like when he does that. The world has never seen the kind of persecution and the kind of, of martyrdom and the kind of bloodshed that's going to come when Antichrist declares himself to be God, declares that he should be worshipped, and forbids the worship of the true and living God. Do you understand that people who are in the tribulation, not just the Jews, who, who get saved during that period, are not, listen, if they don't take the mark of the beast, they can't buy or sell. They can't work. They can't make a living. You can't go to the hospital. You can't get medicine. You can't do anything. And if you be known public that you believe in God, you'll be arrested and tormented and executed. That's what it's going to be like in that last part of the tribulation. Now, when it says here that Satan will persecute the woman, it's an interesting word there. Dioko uh, in the Greek, it means to hunt. It means to run after. It means to chase. Satan is specifically, listen, Satan is specifically going to go after Israel. Why? Well, we said it earlier. Because in Satan's thinking, he's thinking the kingdom of Christ is coming. Matter of fact, at the last trumpet judgment, at, at, at the seventh trumpet, what did it say? Heaven's rejoicing because the kingdom of our Lord is coming. Satan knows that. And so he says to himself, you know, he can't have a kingdom if I kill all the Jews. Because Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David in Israel and rule over the Jewish nation and rule over the whole world. And so Satan says, I'm going to try to kill all the Jews. Now, let me, let me, let's just do this for a moment. Do you understand that historically, this idea of killing the Jews is not new? Everybody understand that, right? In other words... Here's a pop quiz. You don't answer out loud. How old is the Jewish nation? How long have they been a people that God chose? 3,500 years, give or take a couple of years, right? 3,500 years. Remember, God called Abraham about 1,500 B.C., somewhere around there. Called Abraham, so I'm going to make a nation out of you. He did, multiply them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They go into, they go into Egypt, right, with Joseph. 400 years later, they come out a million to two million strong. God multiplied and blessed them. So we got this nation from Abraham. God said to Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea. Two million of them come marching out of Egypt with Moses, you know, out front, okay? What do we see in history with regard to the Jews? It has been Satan's plan all along to resist God and to, and to resist his nation at every opportunity. 
Satan has throughout history tried to stop God's plan of having a kingdom. And why was that so important that, that in, let's say, before Jesus came, that Satan would try to kill all the Jews? Why? Because it was from among the Jews that the Savior of the world was coming. Jesus was going to be born of the line of David, the Savior who would die on the cross and pay for our sin. Satan doesn't want anybody to be saved. He doesn't want God's plan to be brought to completion. Think about this in history for just a moment. Let's take a, a historical perspective, if you will, of Satan's plan to destroy the Jews. No ethnic group of people in the entire history of the world have been persecuted and mistreated like the Jews have in all of human history. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's a lot of wickedness that have gone on in the world and still goes on today. But no group of people have been singled out and hated like the Jews have in the whole history of the world. If you want proof, matter of fact, I'll, I'll even say it this way. If you want proof that the Bible's real, that the, that the Word of God is true, if you want some kind of tangible proof other than understanding that God gave it to us and it's, and it's true, just look at the Jewish nation. Just consider them, study them, look at what's happened to them, and you have to come to the conclusion that God has supernaturally preserved them. Let me give you some illustrations. King David, the greatest king, King David Solomon, height of Israel's existence. Study that in the Bible. From there, it went downhill. After Solomon, there was civil war. Ten nations went north, Judah in the south, with Judah and Benjamin. In 722, because of sin in the north, because God warned them through the prophets, they wouldn't repent, the Assyrians destroyed the northern ten tribes and carried them away, and they were no more. Then you got Judah in the south, same sins, prophets came to them, 586, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed Solomon's temple, carried them away in 70 years of captivity. Listen to me, since 586 B.C., 586 years before Jesus was born, the Jews have not been or had their own independent nation until 1940, I think it was, when they became a nation. All of those years, they lived under the rule of somebody else. They lived under the thumb of another nation. Now, think about some of the things that happened to them, and we're just doing this at 40,000 feet, and I like history, so I could really get wrapped up in this, but I'll re restrain myself. Think about this. Nebuchadnezzar not only took the, the cream of the crop captive, read the book of Daniel, but he killed a bunch of them and hauled the rest of them captive, okay? Satan's, Satan's cheering. Yeah, kill them all. Then the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persians, defeated the Babylonians and took over, and the Jews were still captive under the Medo-Persians. Now, eventually, the Persians would allow a remnant to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, but they were still under the thumb of these dominant world powers. And by the way, if you've been listening to Brother Bill's study in the book of Esther, you find out that even when the Persian Empire took over, this guy named Haman got permission from the king to kill all the Jews. Now, here's a question that just, you know, you just got to ask this. When Haman and other people are sitting around going, you know, who can we just kill everybody? Why do they always keep picking the Jews? I mean, you know, it just always happens to be the Jews, right? So Haman wants to kill the Jews. And then, who came, what, what world power came after the Persians? The Greeks, Alexander the Great, the Hellenist movement brought, brought Hellenism to all of the Middle East. And you know, the story of Alexander the Great, great warrior conqueror. You think, well, Alexander the Great didn't persecute the Jews. Oh, well, wait a minute. 
When Alexander died in his untimely death, which the Bible foretold, four of his generals took over his domain. One of them was a guy named Seleucid. Well, the Seleucid king that I just told you about, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was in his line, who took over and fought with the Ptolemies in Egypt all the time, and Israel in the middle, he hated the Jews. Why? Nobody knows. He hated the Jews. And so this king, every time he would go by Jerusalem on his way to fight with the Ptolemies in Egypt, he would just kill a bunch of Jews. He would just attack at Jerusalem, kill them, and go on down to Egypt. And eventually he took Jerusalem, and you know what he did? He said, it's illegal to be Jewish anymore. You have to be Greek. And if we catch you doing anything Jewish, going to the temple, he's the, the abomination of desolation guy who went into the Holy of Holies, offered a swine on the altar, and put a, a statue of Zeus in there. And told the Jews, if you do anything Jewish, we're going to execute you. Why, you know, why pick on the Jews? Because Satan is behind it. Then, then who came after the Greeks? The Romans. The Romans, you know why there was peace under the Roman Empire? Because they march up to your city and go either surrender or we'll kill everybody in there. Now, if you surrender, you can be part of the Roman Empire, pay your taxes, and we'll protect you. If you resist us, we'll kill everybody and move to the next town. Most of the people in their cities went, okay, we're Roman now. You think, well, the Romans didn't persecute the Jews. Well, excuse me. In AD 70, 70 years after Jesus was here, the Jews tried to regain their independence. They didn't like the Romans, and Titus showed up and wiped out everybody in Jerusalem, destroyed the city again, killed them by the tens and hundreds of thousands. And the last group of Jews that held out against the Romans were on this little place called Masada. You ever heard of that? Up on this hill. And, the Jews, and they ended up killing themselves, committing suicide, so they didn't have to fight the Romans. Listen, I'm telling you that throughout world history, world history, the Jews have been the most persecuted people on the face of the planet. You say, well, you know what, that was old historical stuff, Pastor. No, wait, listen. Does anybody remember when the first Crusades were? 1095 to 1099, thousand years after Jesus was here, first millennia. They march over there to the Middle East and want to take Jerusalem back for the cause of Christ. But you know what they did on the way? Study it. They killed every Jew they came across, slaughtered them by the tens of thousands in Europe. Then when they got to Jerusalem and took Jerusalem, the Jews that were living there, they round them all up and burned them alive. Why? just because they're Jews and they get blamed for everything. Why ultimately? Because Satan is behind trying to stop God's plan. You say, well, you know, we don't do those things anymore. Okay. In 1290, King Edward banished all Jews from England. Weren't allowed in the country. In 1306, the French followed and said no Jews are allowed in France. And in 1492, what happened in 1492, kids? A guy got in his boat and sailed west and ran into a big chunk of land called Americas. Actually, he ran into Cuba first, but we won't talk about that. 1492, Columbus leaves Spain to sail over here and find the Americas. You know what happened in Spain in 1492? All the Jews were banished from their country. And the same year that Columbus was sailing over here to find the country. And you say, well, you know, still, that's pretty old. Okay. How about, how about early 1900s, a guy named Stalin? Remember him in history? Three million Jews. You see, you know why we don't talk a lot about Stalin? Because right after him is Hitler, who killed six million Jews. And six million is a lot more than three million, and so we look at Hitler, we don't... Nine million Jews between Stalin and Hitler. Nine million. 
Let that number run around in your head a little bit. In, in the 20th century, not 500 years before Jesus get here, in the 20th century, 9 million Jews were killed, murdered for no other reason than the fact that they're Jewish. Now, I said all that to say this. Satan has been trying for a long time to do exactly what he's going to do in the tribulation, except in the tribulation he's going to do it on steroids. He's been trying for a long time. He tried before Jesus was born to stop Jesus from being born. When Jesus was born, he tried to kill him, tried to get Herod to kill him. And listen, when Jesus hung on the cross, Satan must have been high-fiving with the demons in heaven, thinking, man, we finally won. But what he didn't understand is Jesus gave his life on purpose. They didn't kill him. He gave his life. And he took it back again because three days later he came out of the grave. And man, there must have been some droopy lips, you know, around the demon land when Jesus came out of the tomb because they tried to kill him and he ain't dead no more. All I'm saying is, look, what John is foretelling here and what the Bible is telling us is going to happen has already been in process throughout human history if you just take time to look at it and think about it. And so when we get into tribulation, it's going to be even worse. Look at verse 14 again. This woman, Israel, whom Satan is going to go after all the holds off. He's going to go after them full force. God's going to protect them. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. God is going to supernaturally deliver Israel again, just as he's done before. Those who are his, his remnant, those who belong to him, uh, the wilderness, going to move them. Listen, the wings thing is always used in the Bible to describe God's deliverance. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, when God delivered them from Egypt, he used the same phrase, on the wings of eagles, I've borne you out of captivity. So in this time again in the tribulation, God is on the wings of eagles, if you will. He's going to supernaturally bear his people out of Jerusalem. Remember, in Matthew, Jesus said, when you see this happen, run. Well, where are they going to run to? They're going to run to the wilderness. You say, well, where, where at in the wilderness? Well, it doesn't say. So I don't know. Now, most scholars think it's going to be in Petra, where the, where the Edomites used to live, where all the caves and the rocks and stuff are because it's easy to hide in there. But we really don't know. But God's going to have a place for them. And notice it says God's going to nourish them. Why is that? Can't get food and water in the wilderness. Plus, if you don't have a market of beasts, you can't buy. You don't have a job. Plus, if you show your face and you're Jewish, the Antichrist wants to kill you. So where are they going to get food and water from? I declare to you, the Bible says right here, that God's going to feed them just like he did when they crossed from Egypt to the Promised Land. I don't know if God's going to give them manna. I don't know what he's going to give them, but he's going to feed them. God is going to nourish them. He's going to provide what they need, food and water. And the duration is a time, a time, and a half a time. What does that mean? It's three and a half years, the last half. A year, a year, times, times, two years, and then a half a year. So three and a half years, God's going to have them in the wilderness. He's going to nourish them. Now, is, is Satan going to give up? Is he going to go, oh, well. God's got him protected. No, he's not. Look at verses 15 and 16 of Revelation 12. So the serpent spewed, out, spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. 
Now, there'll be some scholars, some people will tell, well, you know, that's a real flood, that's water, that Satan is going to try to, you know, flood them. Um, I disagree with that. The dragon is, an, is, a, is a metaphor for Satan. We know that. It's not a real dragon. I think the flood is his armies. I think what he's going to do is he's going to find out where they are, and he's going he's to spare no, he's going to send everything he has after him. He's going to send all the armies that he has after him. That's the flood. He's going he's gonna to flood where they are with all the tools to kill them. He's going to send his airplanes, his tanks, his soldiers. He's going to target them. Now, let me, and I don't have time. The Bible describes Antichrist's rule as really ruling over, over a number of nations and all their military might. So he's going to have incredible military power at his disposal. And when he finds out where that remnant has been held and been led by God to be hidden, he's going to go after them. Why? Because he wants to kill them. But notice what the Bible says. God is going to supernaturally preserve him. It says the earth opens its mouth and swallows up the flood which the dragon has spewed out of his mouth. In other words, God is going to do some supernatural thing to protect them. You say, man, that's kind of spectacular. You think God's really going to do that? Um, yeah. I seem to remember when they came out of Egypt, God opened up the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. And when Pharaoh and the chariots tried to follow, God drowned them all. I seem to remember in number 16 when Korah and a bunch of guys decided Moses shouldn't be the leader. And Moses, in a general way, I'm just synopsing here. Moses said, all y'all who are against God stand over there. And everybody who's with me and God stand over here. And so the people spread out and Korah and his group over there. And you remember what happened? The ground opened up, swallowed them, closed up like they never existed. God said in that day when Antichrist tries to kill his remnant, God's going to supernaturally preserve them using whatever means he wants to use. Now, I know during the tribulation, the Bible says there's a lot of earthquakes. There's a lot of upheaval in the natural order of things. Maybe God's going to use an earthquake or something to destroy those armies. I don't know what he's going to use. Maybe God will just rain down fire on them like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something and burn them all up. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Antichrist ain't going to be able to touch them because God's going to put a wall between them, his people, and, and the enemy, and God is going to uh, preserve them. Now, what do you think Satan's attitude is going to be about this point? Well, look at verse 17, and we'll wrap it up this morning with his, uh, his final attitude here. He says, And the dragon was what? Enraged. I like that. I think that's funny. I mean, you know, let, I, again, time doesn't permit us to take apart all of this means. You remember when the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, he's going to persecute the church, and he's, you know, he's, the Bible says he's breathing out threatenings against the church, and, the, you know, and he met somebody on the road. Remember who he met? He met Jesus, okay? And he fell off the donkey, and remember what Jesus asked Paul? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the the pricks. And what he was saying is goads, uh, animals that would kick. They would put these, these spike things to, to, they can't kick again. They can't kick, okay? It, it stopped them from kicking and it was impossible. And so basically, Jesus said to Paul, You know, you're banging your head against the wall in our term today. He says, You know, you're, you're fighting a fight you can't win. That's what Jesus said to him. You are, you're, you're, you're fighting a fight you can't win. Why don't you get on my side? And Paul got saved. 
And then, and then you know the rest of the story. Paul then, then lived for Jesus' life. I think of the same thing right here. Satan is, Satan is in a supernatural way, he is, he is using every possible thing he can do at his disposal to hinder the plan of God, to kill God's people, to stop God from bringing in his kingdom, and he cannot, and it enrages him because he can't. Notice what it says. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war, and I notice this, with the rest of her offspring to keep the commandments of God, that keep the commandments of God, and have testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, you know what, you know what that says right there? Listen to this now. When he figures out that he can't get to that remnant, that, that part of his army is destroyed, and God has supernaturally preserved them, he's so enraged that he goes after her offspring. Now, who is that? The offspring spiritually or everybody else who's saved. Because remember, it was Abraham who was saved by faith. And it's because of Abraham and, and his lineage and Jesus being born and people being saved by faith. He's going to go after all the rest of the saved people in the world. Anybody who professes anything to do with Christ, Satan's going to go after them. Now listen, that's what I said a minute ago. If persecution was bad in the world today, and it will get worse... And it's bad in the beginning of the tribulation. It's going to be horrendous by the end because Satan is going to look to take out his anger and his wrath on anybody who even remotely names the name of Jesus. Now notice this and we'll close. How will he be able to tell who's really saved and who isn't? How will he know who to persecute? Get this now. This is important. Watch. He'll go after her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that even in the tribulation, those who are really saved, you'll be able to tell it by the way they live. You'll be able to tell it by the things they say, by what they do. You'll be able to tell it because their lifestyle, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will be being conformed to the image of Christ. Kind of makes us ask a question today, doesn't it? If people were running around in the world today looking for someone to persecute, is there enough evidence in our life that they would pick us? Would they look at you and say, well, you must be a Christian? Well, you know, you must be a Christian. How would they know? Other than us saying, yeah, I'm saved. They should know because, listen, because we have the testimony and we keep the commandments of God. Obedience. We do what God told us to do. And the world will hate that. The world will hate that. Why? Because Satan hates it. Let me ask you this morning as we close. Listen, you might be thinking online as you watch and hear, you thinking, boy, that's a terrible time. I don't want to be here in that time. I'm with you. That's a good idea not to be here in that time. Listen, how do, how, how do you make sure you're not here when the tribulation comes? Come to Jesus today. Confess your sin. Ask Jesus to save you. Listen. Listen, the Bible says for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. If we die in our sin, we have to pay for our sin in a place called hell. If the rapture happens today and you're lost, you're going to get left here and face all of these things that are described. Listen, in Jesus, the prophecy and the things that Jesus says in this book have all come true. They're all happening just as God said it would. So I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, plan on, I wouldn't plan on it not being as bad because it's going to be exactly what Jesus says it's going to be. But you can be saved today. You can confess your sin, ask Jesus to forgive you, and he'll save you. 
Are you sorry for your sin? You want to be saved today? God will save you. Would you ask him? Would you pray to receive Christ today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing these things to us. Thank you for helping us to understand them. Thank you for revealing to us the reality of what's going to happen in this world and what is happening in the world today. God, it helps us understand when we look at current events, God, we see that all of society, all of humanity is moving to this period of time. God, help us in this day to be salt and light. Help us, God, to be men and women who are obedient and conform to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be those who are evident and purposeful in the way we live for Jesus. God, bless that one today online who may be watching, one who may watch this video later, one in this place today. If they're not saved right now in this moment, God, may they just cry out to you and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I believe you gave your son to die on a cross so I can be saved. And Lord, by all the faith I have, I confess my sin and ask you to save me right now. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. I'll be here to pray with you and help you if I can.